Malawi to devalue the quarter by 30%. From over 1,200 cities and 128 countries, Care Africa brings you the Good Morning Africa podcast. Good morning, Africa, and welcome aboard your pulse on everything business in Africa. I am Ritha Dong. For more, follow us on Twitter at the Financial, and you can find me at Ritha Dong. In August, Airtel Uganda planned to raise 800 billion Uganda shillings in an initial public offering, which would value the telecom at $1 billion. On Monday, Airtel Uganda announced its initial public offering achieved a subscription rate of 54.45% for 800 billion Uganda shillings, about 213 million US dollars worth of shares offered for sale. In today's episode, Paul Wieso, CEO of Uganda Securities Exchange, delves into the lack of financial literacy in regards to the capital markets and the preference for government paper, and how that could have played out in the undersubscription of the IPO. So there are models of coming to market. The first model is if you're raising capital, you underwrite. The underwriter means we'll buy the company, you get your capital, you go and invest in the business. That's your story. The second is book building. You go to your institutional investors, you build your book, then you come down and uh, discount it to the retail and resell it. Then the third model. And this generally happens when there's an offer to sell. The shareholder is just selling, not to raise capital. He's going to pay their core shareholder. Now, if they underwrite, that means they'll have sold the company to somebody else and not achieved. Again, remember the National Telecom, uh, the broadband policy was to sell to your Ugandans. So the best model was to come through the incentive approach. You have one fixed price because you can't segregate pricing. Once you get that pricing, which was 100 sh- sh- shillings, you now offer discounts to the retail, to the institutions, based on size. Now, I think the crowding out of government securities played a role in this. I actually do, because look at where interest rates are for the 10-year, 15-year, 5-year, 3-year. You're in the 14% and upwards, despite CBR being at 9. And now you're taking on a company where there's more risk, and uh, even though they've guaranteed certain uh, dividend payments. So again, it comes down to the financial literacy of understanding the different asset classes. If I buy Airtel today, in two years' time, can I consistently get a dividend? Like I would get an interest return from my fixed deposit or from my money market funds or from my uh, treasury bonds. And then the liquidity. Maybe the liquidity also plays a role. Uh, how quickly can I sell and get out of the market if I run cash? Because uh, that also has an impact. If people are just selling, the retailer are just selling then they discount the price because they want cash to be, as opposed to really looking at the value of the stock. So you find a lot of stocks are undervalued in the market and do not factor in uh, the future value of the, of the company because some prices just react because, all today, I have to pay school fees, I'll sell at whatever price I'll deal with. And then we don't have enough market makers. So the, the, the dealers in the market should be coming in and saying, well, you want to sell? She's a good price. I'll buy at a slight discount and I will sell this at a future debt and make a return. So there's structure issues, there's literacy and um, offer to sell. I think the institutions, honestly, I think they had other alternative assets. And to liquidate those to come into this was, I think they needed a further discount. Can I call it, put it the Ugandan way, discount on discount to come through. He also answers the question. Did the separation of the mobile money arm affect the uptake of the offering? And that's why I come back to the understanding. I think it's again perception. This business EBITDA was what? 55 point something? If I remember the, the figure right. So it is making money. 
does it matter how it makes the money? It has future growth from uh, 2G, 3G, you name it. It's making money and it's growing. Subscribers. So if you look at it that way, then uh, you miss the bus because you're trying to compare uh, onions with tomatoes. They're in the same sector, but they run business models that are different. So yes, it had an impact because people were probably saying, ah, this thing doesn't, the future growth is in, in mobile and the like. But remember, uh, Airtel pays the mobile, the mobile pays Airtel. There are contracts in between that. So everybody benefits. But yes, there's a lot of future growth on the other side. But if you look at this business's history over the last five years that they shared, you can see the direction they are going. I, I'd, I'd like to call them, uh, for lack of a better word, lean and mean. They're in to make money and to grow and to pay, to pay shareholders. I think I mentioned it that before. They have a, they, they're a listed company that pays another listed company. That listed company is interested in returns. That is one. But of course, the other conversations, ESG, sustainability, let's not take that off the table. But clearly, it is to pay the majority shareholder. The culture is drive growth. And they will drive. So for me, I think uh, the literacy, the marketing had gaps. And it's across the board. I'm not saying Airtel and the like. We could have done better. There were lessons learned from MTN that we could have improved on, even CIPLA. Um, but we are dealing with a cultural issue. I'll give an example. Uh, during COVID, uh, collective investment schemes had not grown. They were in the range of 300, 400 billion. Between 2020 to date, they're in 1.5 trillion. Why? People understood the product. So literacy and how we do it is a critical success factor for the capital markets. Because even the people willing to sell the companies, when the public understand, the businesses will also appear because people will appreciate that, oh, if I go to the market, I can actually raise capital. And a quick look at the market. The market segment is powered by the Development Bank of Rwanda. We empower you. Malawi's central bank has issued a notice to authorized dealer banks informing them of a 30% reduction in the local quarter currencies exchange rate against the dollar effective from Thursday. The notice outlined that the new exchange rate for the quarter will be 1,700 quarter to the dollar, a significant shift from the previous selling rate of 1,180 quarter to the dollar. Malawi's recent decision to devalue its currency marks the second time the Southern African nation has taken this step. The initial devaluation occurred in May 2022 as a response to dwindling foreign currency reserves, which were under pressure due to rising commodity prices and reduced earnings from the tobacco exports. The notice issued to banks cited ongoing supply-demand imbalances in the currency market and the re-emergence of arbitrate opportunities as the rationale behind the current exchange rate adjustment. The central bank reported that spot checks on several market participants indicated their ability to settle import bills by the newly adjusted exchange rates. A quick trip around Africa. Mining production in South Africa shrunk by 1.9% from a year ago in September of 2023 after a downwardly revised 2% drop in the prior month and compared with market forecasts of a 2% fall. This marks the third consecutive month of receding mining activity, largely due to lower output from diamonds and other metallic minerals and manganese ore. Mining production, one of the country's pillar industries, grapples with multiple challenges, including currency fluctuations, high inflation, power blackouts and logistical issues in the mineral exports due to the deterioration of road, rail and port infrastructure. On a seasonally adjusted monthly basis, mining production decreased by 0.3% in September, following an upwardly revised 1.2% rise in the prior month. 
seasonally adjusted mining production decreased by 1.6% in the third quarter of 2023 compared with the second quarter of 2023. Global air cargo demand in September continued its recovery. This is according to the International Air Transport Association, IATA. In a year on year terms, global demand in September was up 1.9%, with international demand rising 1.6%. Total air cargo capacity increased by 12.1%. Capacity growth was largely the result of an increase in airliner belly hold capacity as airlines increase their flights to meet their peak travel demand season, the Northern Hemisphere summer. The region which saw the strongest year-on-year performance in September was the Asia Pacific, with year-on-year demand jumping 7.7%. This is also better than its figure for Argus, which was up at 4.6%. Then came in the Middle East with demand at 2.5%, which was also better then Argus increase of 1.3%. Next came in Latin America up 2.3% year-on-year, and this represented a deceleration compared with Argus figure of 6.2%. The remaining three IATA regions recorded year-on-year demand decreases in September. The smallest decrease was just 0.1%, which was in Africa. This was, however, a big improvement over the drop of 3.5% reported in Argus. Next came in Europe, down 1.5%, which marked a further deterioration over Argus, which has seen a decrease of 0.6%. The worst performing region was North America, with a fall of 2.2% in September. Again, this was a worse performance than in Argus when the region had recorded a decline of 1.4%. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the K Financial. If you have any suggestions or you just want to check out more stories, visit the website, that is thekfinancial.com, and don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at The K Financial, and you can find me at Pithadong.